0: Hey everybody, Ray Lucey here with Matt Lieb. Welcome to the next episode of Graybird's On Storage podcast, show where we get Graybird Storage bloggers to talk with system vendors, to discuss upcoming products, technologies, and trends affecting the data center today. This Graybird On Storage episode was recorded on March twenty first, two thousand nineteen. We have with us here today David Friend, CEO of Wasabi. So, David, why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself and your company?
1: Sure. Uh, I'm a serial entrepreneur. My most recent company is a company called Carbonite that uh, probably most of your listeners have heard of. It's a big backup company. And uh, the new company is called Wasabi, and we're out to disrupt the cloud storage market. And uh, with a product that is uh, really identical to Amazon S3, but uh, one-fifth the price and up to six times faster. Um You can store a petabyte of data in Wasabi for less than the annual maintenance on a petabyte of say EMC or NetApp storage too.
0: Yeah. So, I mean, it's it's a, it's a cloud storage solution. So do you have like data centers throughout the world and all that stuff?
1: We have three data centers at this point, one on the East coast, one on the West coast and one in Europe. And, uh, you know, there'll be more online before the end of this year. Uh, we have, uh over 6000 paying customers about 4000 more in trial uh we we've, we've been growing 15 to 20% month over month and uh, so we're you know well over 100 petabytes of storage installed at this point and uh growing very quickly
0: and you uh and you use like the S3 protocol to access the storage and that sort of thing
1: Yep, we very carefully did a a very exact replica of the S3 API so that any software that works with uh, Amazon S3 will work with Wasabi. So we have have hundreds of of software partners already that we have certified that work with Wasabi.
2: I'm wondering how the application interacts with that data. Is the application going to reside in AWS, or do you put that application somehow on Wasabi?
1: No, we don't, run, we don't do anything except the storage part. And uh, so um, you can continue to run your apps in-house, which is what a lot of people do, uh, because most of our business is coming from companies that have uh, you know, a lot of in-house storage and it's five years old, getting to end of life and uh you know a hardware salesman is standing there with a purchase order for a million bucks and customer is saying maybe I don't want to do that when I can move all that data to the cloud and uh at a price that's less than the maintenance on my on this hardware that they're trying to sell me um sometimes sometimes people run their apps in EC2 in Amazon's cloud but they store the data in Wasabi sometimes they take a second copy of what they have in Amazon and store it in Wasabi so that they're not locked into one vendor. Um, sometimes they run their apps in other people's clouds. Like um, we have a partnership with a company called Packet that only does compute in the cloud. We only do storage in the cloud. and We have an agreement whereby you can move data back and forth between Wasabi and Packet with uh, no, no egress charges. We don't charge egress anyway. I mean, that's one of the things people hate.
0: That's the other thing that S3 makes makes it expensive. Getting data in is easy, but getting it out is a bit of a challenge, cost wise. Yeah,
2: um, my biggest uh, my biggest pain for my customers is uh, is explaining what egress charges actually mean. Um, so it seems to me as if it's a uh, an ideal candidate for a cloud backup environment.
1: Yeah, we uh, we partner with Comvault, Veeam, uh, many many other, pretty much all the major backup companies, and it is it's a perfect place to store your backups. And uh, almost everybody's backup software today talks S three, and so you you it's very simple to set it up with. Uh, with Wasabi and there's, uh, you know, in the knowledge base on the Wasabi website, there are plenty of, uh, videos and, and documents that tell you how to use Wasabi with, with Veeam, how to use Wasabi with Commvault and so forth. So, yeah, it works great for that. And, uh, one of the things that Wasabi has that, uh, the other guys don't have is the notion of immutable buckets and kind of like worm. Um, you know, having come from the backup world, I know that uh, most of the time when people lose data, it's because they made a mistake, pushed the wrong button, or there's been a hacker. Or a... Certainly
0: it does. That's what my problems are.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And so we have this notion of immutable buckets that says, if you know you're going to want to keep this data for a year or five years, put it in an immutable bucket, and then nobody can delete it, nobody can change it. Uh, until that until that clock runs out and so what that means is if somebody comes in, you've got a hacker or you've got a uh, you know somebody you've fired who wants to destroy data on the way out, it's safe.
0: So do you support things like uh, i call it replication between data centers and that sort of thing or or taking replicas within a data center?
1: Well, you know we have the same eleven nines of durability that uh, Amazon and Microsoft have
0: eleven nines.
1: Yeah, yeah, I mean, it is. I actually did the math on this once. And, and um, if you gave me a million objects to store, statistically, I would lose one every 659,000 years.
0: 11 nines. I, I've never heard 11 nines before. I, five, six, seven, maybe, but never 11. No, but that's an enterprise. Yeah.
1: Amazon, Amazon, Microsoft, and Wasabi are all 11 nines. And uh, basically, you get that by having taking the data and spreading it over 20 separate drives, and you'd have to lose five of those. Well, we actually spread it across 20 servers because it's, that makes it far more durable, but you'd have to lose five of those within a very short window of time. Uh, and that statistically, the chances of that happening are almost nil. But uh, some people wanna have the data replicated in another geography as well. And um, and and we can do that as well. So if you can store data in Wasabi in uh, Virginia, and say you want to replicate it somewhere else, it'll just automatically in the background replicate itself to our data center in Oregon. And uh, you know, so that that's available as an option. That's as great. Well.
2: So um, as you grow, though, I assume that a a user is going to have control over where that data sits in terms of uh, data sovereignty or, or potentially GDPR type of security.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And, and that's why we have a data center in Amsterdam because uh, when GDPR came in, we, we had about 20% of our business actually was coming from, uh, from outside the U S and uh, you know, it was very clear that if we wanted to retain that business, we were going to have to have a data center in the GDPR, uh, to meet the the compliance. And we are GDPR certified as well as HIPAA and FINRA and uh, you know a dozen other certifications.
0: So you mentioned immutable data buckets or, or buckets and things of that nature. Um, do you, I, 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 I don't know, do you support things like data compression and things that are encryption and that sort of stuff? Or how does that work in that environment?
1: Sure, well, well data is always encrypted once it's uh, at rest because um, you know, We don't want to have anybody, you know, if somebody did steal credentials and broke in or something like that, um, you know, all they'll find is encrypted data. Um, so data is encrypted in transport uh, using, you know, HTTPS um, and it's encrypted at rest so that uh, even people at Wasabi, you know, can't see what the customer's data is.
0: I get, yeah. So who has the keys in that
1: situation? Well, the customer, the customer has the keys. right now. If they if they want to give us a, a custodial custodial uh, copies of the keys, we will do that. We do that with a third party, um, but uh, that's up to the customer. And certainly, you know, most of the big customers who have enough processes in place that they aren't going to lose their keys. Um, you know, would prefer to keep their own keys. And we'd prefer that too, quite frankly.
0: And do you support sort of, uh, I don't know what they call it anymore, but they used to be, you could send a disk to one of these cloud companies and they would would suck the data off the disk. And that way you wouldn't have to, uh, you know, move it over the network and that sort of thing.
2: Yeah, that's a data seeding process. Yeah,
1: Amazon has something called a, a snowball and we have a wasabi ball, which
2: is basically the same thing. Yeah, but it's a little spicy, right? Uh, yeah, it's hot. Yeah, it's
0: hot. No. Well, I, I think it was Azure where you could actually send them a disk as long as it was, you know, a SCSI attached disk or a SATA attached disk, it would work or something like that, yeah.
1: Yeah, now these, these little appliances, it's surprising. I mean, we have a ton of them out there now because, you know, you, you get customers, even if they have the, the bandwidth, it takes a fair amount. If you're moving three or four petabytes of data, something like that, you know, you need it, it, it takes forever. And and even people who do have, you know, 10 gigs or more to the internet, they don't want to dedicate it all to moving this data. They've got work to do. And so these appliances are actually pretty handy. You know, they show up at the back door, you plug them in, you load them up with data and you put them on a truck and send them back.
0: So what's a typical size for one of these appliances, like on a hundred terabyte thing? or is
1: it? Yeah, a hundred terabytes. And, uh, you know, if someone has got a, a petabyte to move, we'll send them five of these little appliances. They'll load them up, send them back. They're easy to handle. They're fairly lightweight. And, uh, and then we'll send them another five, and they'll load those up, and then the job is done. That's
2: great. And, and then I assume there's some sort of a, a syncing mechanism after the, the initial seed has taken place?
1: Yeah, you know, from that point on, you know, the customer sending the uh, the incrementals over the uh, just over the internet or through a dedicated pipe, if that's what they want to do.
0: That's that's a, that's an application and or a customer based uh, process rather than something Wasabi would do automatically. I guess right.
1: Yeah, same as it would be with Amazon or anybody else. So, um, you know, usually people are. Even people who are sending us you know five petabytes of data, their, their daily up, updates might be a few terabytes, and uh, you know that's easy to send over over the wire.
0: And, and, the, and those buckets effectively are accessible anywhere in the world with internet access and things of that nature.:
1: Yeah, I mean that's the good thing about being in the cloud, which is that you know, it is accessible from anywhere
0: and you don't charge any egress charges. So where do you make all your money in the storage stuff?
1: <laughs> well, you know, if you look at an if you look at an Amazon bill, it's probably got, you know, 15 or 20 line items they charge you for every little thing. They charge you for egress, they charge you for all the API calls, you know, put, get, delete operations. And while Jeff was busy designing all this software, I was out talking to customers and the very first thing I heard was, "We hate all this stuff on the bill." Because, you know, I run an IT shop, I've got a budget, I know how much data I have to store, but I have absolutely no idea what how much egress I use or how many times I touch the data. Because, you know, with my in-house storage, I don't have any way to meter that stuff. And so it makes the bill completely unpredictable. And I know I've I've seen plenty of customers whose Amazon bill is double what they thought it was going to be because they didn't take into account the amount of egress that they're going to use. So customers hate that unpredictable nature. And so we just decided to, to not charge for that. So we make all our money on the storage A wasabi bill has literally has one line item, which is how many terabytes of storage do I use this month? And, uh, you know, and it's a, we'll have a a few customers who might abuse it, you know, who will take advantage of the free egress. And, uh, you know, we might lose money on 1% of our customers, but it's so worth it to give everybody else this, this much more friendly experience. Our customers love it. I mean, it's, it's like the first thing that they'll tell you when is, I just love the fact that it's so simple.
2: So um, maybe I can ask um, an architectural question. Um, I had a customer talking to us about Wasabi recently, and um, what they were looking to do was remove all storage from their home environment uh, and point... point, I know, I know. uh, And pointing to Wasabi as their primary file store, as, um, you know, literally everything within their data center in terms of storage. Is, is that a viable option? And how would that work? Yeah.
0: Oh, David, come on. No, no way.
2: <laughs> well, you know what? Before, before
1: Wasabi came online, I had, I had my whole desk was cluttered with, with NAS devices and all kinds of junk. And I got rid of all of that stuff. In fact, I, I, I took a little piece of software called Cloudberry Cloud Drive and uh, I put it on my PCs and uh, it presents Wasabi. It presents an object store as a mounted drive. So I basically have a W drive on my, on my computers and that W drive looks just like the NAS that used to sit on my desk, um, but it's actually all the data stored in the cloud and, uh, and it works great.
2: And you can do that for target mechanisms for your databases or, or whatever. Uh,
1: So
0: so, we got, okay. So we got to talk performance. We have to talk eventual consistency. We have to talk, you know, how these sorts of things work in a, in a block environment as well as a file environment, those sorts of things.
1: So it actually works pretty well. Um, I mean, one of the things that Wasabi does that, Amazon does not do is we're immediately consistent. So if you write an object to Wasabi, it's there instantly, you know, whereas Amaz- Amazon's eventually consistent. And
0: gotta be, con- gotta be careful here. If I'm gonna replicate that data across multiple regions, eventual consistency says it'll eventually get there, but immediate consistency says before you respond to that REST request, I guess, that data is everywhere.
1: Well, the, the, the replication to the second site, you're not accessing that. You're only accessing the primary site. The only time you'd ever access the, 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 the mirror would be if the first site fails. Um, and that so far, we've never had that happen. So, uh, you know, that's, that's kind of a backup scenario. But if you're writing to, uh, to a wasabi bucket... And then one millisecond later, you try to look to see if that data is there, it's there. And you, you don't get an acknowledgement from Wasabi saying that we've received the data until it's actually available. And so it, it, it is immediately consistent in the same way that it would be if you were running an EMC storage server right next to your computer or something like that.
0: And it's protected across the 20 dr- server environment at, the point, at that point.
1: Now you know physically the data is probably still in flash because it hasn't maybe hasn't been written out to disk yet. But from the user standpoint, that you you wouldn't care about that because you know data comes into Wasabi at such an enormous rate you can't write it directly to disk. You have to buffer it in in uh, in flash memory. <laughs> um, so, but it's available instantly. And th- that's another one of those things we learned because when we went out talking to programmers, um, you know, they hate the eventually consistent thing because then they have to build these sort of timing loops into their applications saying, I write this data and now I gotta go see if it's there. If it's not there, I have to wait a second, then I have to try again. And you don't know when the heck it's gonna show up. It could be milliseconds, it could be literally seconds and uh, you know so we fixed that in wasabi because we know that that's a, a just a bad design aspect of it so it deals but with anyways to, to your point you know there's lots of there's dozens and dozens of software programs that talk the s3 protocol and uh, i was just mentioning cloudberry because it's kind of a, a a low a low-end product that works really really well and it's suitable for a small Server or uh, you know individual PCs, and you can get. We have a, a similar kind of thing that we uh, offer for free on the Wasabi website. You can just. There's a Mac version. It's called Wasabi for Mac and Windows. To be honest, that's not where most of our business comes from. Most of our business comes from large enterprises who are moving very large amounts of data and have much more sophisticated ways of doing it. Sure.
2: But in the in the goal of, of removing, uh, you know, physical devices from a from a network, in, in this case, uh, San or NAS, uh, it, it's viable. Um, well, yeah, even our big,
1: even our even our even our big customers, you know, who, who maybe have a petabyte or more, they may be shutting down a whole room full of you know NetApp NAS devices. You know, or storage servers. So that that is the goal in many cases. The only time it, you know, I would advise against it is, uh, y- you know, if if you you have to look at the latency to the Wasabi data center. And you know, if I don't know where you guys are, but you know, uh, from Boston here, we're yeah. So in Boston, we're like 15 milliseconds from from the Virginia data center, and that's fast enough for anything I would want to do. But, you know, we have a couple of people who are doing like live video editing and things like that, and they really need sub one millisecond. And so the solution for people like that is run your app in, in the same data center cluster down there in Virginia that we're in, where you do, where you are under a millisecond and, you know, you're, your terminal may be further away, but that that data stream can move quick enough.
0: So you can you can run apps in a, in your data center.
1: Well, there's lots of other vendors. We don't we don't provide compute in the cloud.
0: Ah, you're not the only data. Yeah. Okay, but, I got you.
1: You know, if you were, um, you know, I would I would if you came to me and said I want to do this, I would recommend Packet or any number of a uh, few other companies that are offering very good, very high quality compute in the cloud services that we have interconnected to so that we do get this very, very fast, you know, sub millisecond uh, kind of latency.
0: Yeah, so what about a block versus a file? I mean, a file typically is, you know, is a bucket, you know, like element, but, or an object rather, but a block, uh, you know, can be five, you know, 4K or something smaller and that sort of stuff. If you have... Those sorts of sizes. Uh, if you're going to convert a block storage device to an object storage back end,
1: I wouldn't do that. I think you're right about that. The uh, you know, and and we don't really care about block storage stuff that much because it tends to be small. <clears throat> you know, it tends to be row and column kind of oriented data. It tends to be alphanumeric data, which generally doesn't amount to a hill of beans. the 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 kind of stuff that we like are, you know, clearly media, like movies, enter, movies, TV shows, surveillance cameras, genomics. You know, every time somebody gets their genome sequenced today, it's terabytes of data. Um, you know, uh, we get a lot of scientific stuff, uh, satellite imagery, uh, you know, outputs from telescopes, particle colliders,
2: so a bunch of unimportant stuff basically is big.
0: yeah, yeah but, but that stuff is big it's 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 file oriented it's unstructured you know and all those things uh you know they're typically either read or written but they're not updated <laughs> kinds of stuff
1: that's right that's right if you're if you're talking about a you know a transactional system you know something that's being used for trading stocks or you know order entry, you know, it, it a the performance would not be good if you were trying to use an object store for that, um, you know as you can well imagine, and it and b we don't really want that kind of business because the storage is very small relative to the amount of in and out, you know, so it doesn't really fit with our business model.
2: So. Um, On another architect, because I'm very nuts and boltsy, on an architectural conversation, you mentioned Flash. I imagine that your data centers and and your your storage model leverages a sort of a tiered or caching environment such that Flash is a a big part of the storage mode that you're using.
1: Well, you, you know, if you're writing to disk, uh, which is what, where we eventually store the data, um, you, you really have to stage it before you write it to disk. Because first of all, you know over the internet, things don't come in in sequence and so forth. So you have to reassemble your object somewhere before you write it to disk. So you're basically just buffering as, as stuff comes in the door. Uh, in very high speed memory, and then you're organizing it. And, you know, we actually, I mean, some of the key to the Wasabi cost and speed is we actually write the software that goes and controls the movement of the heads on the disk drives. So we don't rely on Linux or Windows or any other operating system to do that kind of stuff. It's very... You got
0: your own disk driver? I'm impressed.
1: Yeah, it's the only way you can do what we do. And, you know, and Linux and, and Windows are block-oriented file systems, and you will never get either the cost or the speed that we achieve uh, by using a block-oriented file system. <clears throat> so, you know, we, we th- th- this is stuff that we've learned how to do over 15 years of doing it at Carbonite and now doing it at Wasabi. And <clears throat> it's an arcane end of software, and you probably will never... Meet a software engineer who's ever had to worry about the physical placement of bits on disk.
0: Trust me, I've been there. <laughs>
1: um, you know, so it's not something you're going to really learn how to do in college or something like that. So it t- takes a lot of experience and and know how. And we've you know developed all these algorithms for how to how to do it to minimize head movement and and maximize throughput and all these other things. <clears throat>
0: So the challenge with doing something like that, David, is that is that you know different drives come along. They've got either more heads or less heads. Their organization is you know multi-head per platter versus single head per platter. There's a shingle magnetic recording coming out versus conventional. I mean, so there's a lot of sophistication in these devices as they start to you know as they start to emerge. Um, that sort of thing would have to be almost tailored to every one of those drives.
1: Yeah, um, you know, we started out with uh, SMR drives because they're kind of the hardest to deal with, but they also offer a lot of advantages. Um, and yeah, it's a uh, you know the architecture has to be has to be certainly tailored to the to the kind of drive that you're using. Um, but you know, since since we've been in business uh we started out with 4 terabyte drives then we started getting 8 terabyte drives now we got 15 terabyte drives and uh <clears throat> western digital and seagate are waving 20 terabyte drives now uh you know in uh, <clears throat> in test and uh, you know one of the vendors has even demonstrated in the lab a 100 terabyte drive and so what happens is every year the cost of the cost per bit drops by 20% or so. And, uh, you know, we just ride that curve. We've been riding it since, uh, you know, since we started Carbonite when a, a 500 gigabyte drive was, uh, you know, a big deal. Big. Yeah,
0: yeah, yeah. No, I understand. I understand. Another question I would have is uh, the other vendors seem to have multiple tiers of object storage. And I'm not sure object storage is the right term for it, but, you know, uh, frozen tier versus non-frozen tier kinds of things. Do you guys support, you know, different costs, levels of, uh, of object storage?
1: Well, I happen to think that's a, a really dumb
2: approach. Um, I actually would agree with you, David. I, I, no, Well, look, when, when you're talking about this price point, and not to interrupt, but when you're talking about this price point and how much less it is, than AWS or, or really most any S3 provider, um, you're really talking about uh, why should I architect an additional system to support instead of, what is it? 0.006% of AWS uh, to 0.007? Uh, I think that's throwing engineering in the wrong place.
1: Yeah, I mean, I guess my approach is, you know, Wasabi is cheaper than than Glacier when you take into account typical egress, and it's faster than S3. So why do you need the seven other tiers that are in between? And you know, I went to a Gartner conference, and the Gartner storage analyst gets up and says, "Well, if you're going to move your data to the cloud, the first thing you need is a two hundred thousand dollar headcount to sit down and figure out what data ought to be in which tier." And there's and there's a whole industry of consultants out there who literally their their payment is going to be the amount of money that they save you by figuring out cheaper ways for you to move your data from one tier to the next. I mean, it's just not You don't have three plugs in your wall for great electricity, okay electricity, and crappy electricity. Um, no,
0: actually, I do have for for you know different different device appliances and stuff like that. You
1: know, the, the, yeah, but I mean, you know it will be edge cases, but for the most part, you know, what people want is good, solid, you know, storage as a utility. It's fast, it's cheap, and it does 99% of all the things you want storage to do. And and it doesn't need to have all these complexities. Um, these tiers that are are out there, so that's an old idea. And it's just, I, I just can't see that that's going to be the way storage is going to be in
2: five years or 10 years from now.
0: That's interesting. You shot down the whole model, I guess.
2: Sounds like you're arguing, Ray. You think that the it.
0: It's a question of petabytes, exabytes, yottabytes, you know, it's how much storage you want to talk about. And every little cent here is going to add up. If we're talking about exabytes of storage, it's a lot of money.
1: Yeah, but you know, still, you know, you can store an exabyte in Wasabi for the same price or less, and you can store an exabyte in Glacier. So why do you need all these tiers? It's all it is is it's another level of complexity, and you spend a heck of a lot of time just shuttling data from one thing to another.
2: And and let's also add to it that when you want when you want to retrieve data from Glacier, you've got a lag time that that's absolutely absurd um it's not live yeah you get hours i mean well, it's just not live and everything you're storing is live data that can be extracted at any moment's notice and for no egress charges i think that model works. i was just going
1: to say there's almost no reason why you would want to use a product like glacier if you have a alternative like uh, wasabi
0: Let's say you were able to take your technology and and you know you've already got multiple tiers. Just add another dozen tiers or something behind that, and 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 then you know supply that that storage at one tenth the cost of normal Wasabi. You don't think customers would buy it?
1: How are you going to store it? I mean, ultimately you have to store that data somewhere, and. And, you know, and we get our efficiency by more efficient, I mean, we use 99.5% of the physical bits on disk. Um, if you're using a block-oriented file system, you're probably going to maybe get 60 or 70% of the physical blocks on disk. Not if you're lucky. So, you know, if there were a way to store data at a tenth of the price of wasabi, it would have to be on some completely different medium. And, you know, I don't know what that doesn't exist today. And if it does exist, we'll certainly be the first ones to embrace it because that's our business. Our business is to be the Walmart of cloud storage. You know, there's no point in shopping around because the Wasabi brand stands for always the high quality storage at the lowest price and nobody will ever beat us.
2: Well, I was going to say, how how are you going to shave your margins any further to support something like a, a glacier? Um, in, in an effort to to support the, like you referred to it, an edge customer who, who wants that sort of more archival type storage. You, it sounds to me like the margins are as lean as they can be.
1: Yeah, the only thing that's cheaper on a per-bit basis is putting stuff on a tape, putting it in a cardboard box, and then sticking it in a warehouse somewhere. And it's only cheaper if you're never going to look at it again, because the cost of of taking a tape out of a box, out of a warehouse is pretty high. But if your goal is, for some regulatory reason, I have to keep all this data for the next 20 years, and I'm probably never going to look at any of it again, still the cheapest way to do that is put it on a tape, put the tape in a cardboard box and stick it in a warehouse.
2: Yeah, but if you need it 20 years later, are you going to still support the same tape drive?
1: No, no, those tape drives will all be on a junk heap in China somewhere.
2: Well, you guys haven't convinced me yet, but I'll I'll
0: I'll agree to let this one lie <laughs> to some extent. But uh, so so, what are some of your bigger um, software partners that that customers might recognize? Uh, that, you know, because I mean, it's really do do a lot of your customers directly access Wasabi, or do they use some of your software partners to access it.
1: Well, you have to talk to Wasabi across an API, so you've got to have some piece of software, you know, sitting in front of it. So, you know, that could be anything from backup systems like uh, Veeam and Commvault to uh, video editing software. It could be archival soft. You know, there's a lot of software out there that we partner with that is, you know, content management software that's designed for archival management of archival data. Um, there's medical information systems that put, yeah, that talk S3 that put MRIs and and uh, X-rays and CAT scans and all kinds of other stuff up there. Um, there's software that takes surveillance cameras and puts all the video up and up in the cloud. So we have partners in every conceivable industry. I mean, it's. Um, <laughs> And it's been really easy for us to develop those because most of the time when somebody's developing a new product today that requires storage, one of the options always is an S3 interface. And so, you know, we have yet to find one that that didn't work with Wasabi. So, you know, we do have a lab here where we actually validate and test everything. And I think we have, if you go on our website, I think there's like 240... 240 partners now on the website that are certified to work with Wasabi and and across a wide range of applications and industries.
0: So you're more of a horizontal play rather than a vertical play and let your software partners do the vertical sales kinds of things, is that how you would say it?
1: Yeah, I mean, we see storage as a commodity like bandwidth or electricity. It's, uh, you know, it's just, it's something that's there and with the disruptive price that Wasabi has, um, you know, people are coming up with all kinds of new things that didn't used to make sense because the storage costs were too high. So, um, you know, when any time you cut the cost of something by almost an order of magnitude, it's gonna unleash a lot of creativity.
0: Yeah, you should see my DVD library. I'm thinking about trying to get that on, online someplace. But the <laughs> well, cost would be exorbitant. <laughs>
1: For
2: me, it's musical
1: You can get a terabyte on Wasabi for five bucks a month. <laughs> I'm not sure we want that, but.
0: <laughs> so uh, the other use of cloud storage I've seen is for things like sharing files and things of that nature or collaboration services uh, with files. Um, you know, my problem is I've got a laptop, I've got an iPad, I've got, you know, a desktop. I'm trying to get those same sorts of files across all those. Do you have software partners that support that sort of service?
1: Yeah, there are. And, you know, a lot of people, when they when they think about cloud storage, they think, oh, well, you must be talking like Dropbox or something like that. And, um, you know, when Dropbox first came on the market, they stored all their data in Amazon S3. And, you know, nobody knew that, nobody cared, and but that's the position we're in. So there are other companies out there that make products that are similar to Dropbox that are storing their data in Wasabi. And so, you know, I think if you want that kind of thing, you might go on the website and look and see what, what we have for partners.
0: You mentioned performance as another uh, differentiator. You want to just tell us a little bit or give us a little hint on how that's, that that that's done in your environment versus uh, the
1: competition? Well, the way we store data on disk, um, it's a sequential file system, meaning that if you give me an object, I'm going to write the entire object in one go. Um, A block oriented file system spreads your data out in available blocks all over the disk. Um, So If you have a disk and, you know, the manufacturer of the disk says, okay, the theoretical throughput of this drive is say 400 megabits per second or something like that with, with a block oriented file system like Linux or, or Windows, you're probably lucky if you get 25 or 30% of the, of the theoretical throughput, because the head is flying all over the drive, picking up pieces of your, of your object. Right, And you have to, each time you move to a different track on the drive, you have to wait for the disk to spin around until the, the bit you want to read is actually under the head.
0: Rotational latency, seek latency, those sorts of things, yeah, yeah.
1: Exactly, so with Wasabi, when, when we write an object to, to disk, we write it all in one big long track. So, and if, and if the object is bigger than one track on the drive, we move to the adjacent track so there's almost no head movement. So this allows us to read and write data to the drive at very close to the theoretical uh, throughput of the drive itself. The other thing is we can, we spread that data over large arrays of drives so that we're reading and writing from large arrays of drives simultaneously. And so you take the throughput that we get on the individual drive and you multiply that by the fact that we're reading and writing in parallel across a large number of drives, and you can get enormous throughput. And that's that's how we get the speed. So we really architected it very differently from the beginning to get the kind of speed, because, you know, people are, have things that are generating data at very high rates.
0: The, the surveillance cameras, you know, those things, those things generate lots of storage bandwidth requirements. And, and you can feed a surveillance camera series into into Wasabi directly, almost?
1: Straight into Wasabi, even at 4K or 8K resolution. And, um, you know, and that's uh, that's a big differentiator. I mean, you can't, we we publish. If you look on our website, there's actually uh, some test suites that we ran that are kind of industry standard standard test suites for evaluating cloud storage, and we publish the specs on the on GitHub. So you can actually the code actually for the tests on GitHub. So you can run these tests yourself if you want to validate the results. But we we've published we've run a bunch of tests on you know, how many threads, how many objects, what size objects, and all these different combinations and permutations. And, uh, you know, that's all published on the website. And, you know, there are um, use cases where the write speeds on Wasabi are seven or eight times faster than S3.
0: And you would say that's because of the way you've decided to, you know, understand the disk layout and and lay the data out in in an optimum fashion on those disks and that sort of thing.
1: Yeah. We architected it for speed from day one. And, And we knew how to do this from Carbonite because Carbonite, you know, when I left Carbonite, we were taking in a half a billion files every day. And and, you know, it, it was a struggle over the 10 years I was there. It was a struggle to be, to stay ahead of the, the fire hydrant of data that was coming in. And so, you know, we learned, developed and learned a lot of these techniques.
0: Okay. Hey, Matt, any last questions for David?
2: No, I think David's covered this uh, beautifully, uh, far more information than, than I was able to call from the website, to be honest with you. And uh, I was really happy to be able to ask some, some questions that had arisen.
0: Okay, David, anything you'd like to say to our listening audience before we close?
1: No, it just you know if, uh, you know, if you're running a lot of in-house storage and the cost of that is a pain point for you, um, it's worth taking a look at moving that data to the cloud even before that equipment wears out, because you're probably paying annual maintenance putting aside the depreciation, you're probably paying annual maintenance that may be more expensive than what it would cost you to store your data in the cloud.
0: Well, this has been great. Thank you very much, David, for being on our show today.
1: Yeah, pleasure.
0: Next time, we'll talk to another system storage technology person. Any questions you want us to ask, please let us know. And if you enjoy our podcast, tell your friends about it, and please review us on iTunes and Google Play as this will help get the word out. That's it for now. Bye, Matt. Bye, Ray. Bye, David.
1: Okay, take care, guys.
0: Until next time.